listening to the Construction Big Breakfast, where we give you a hearty serving of insider tips and business strategies to help fuel your day so you can thrive in the construction industry. Now, here's your host, Brendan Morahan. Okay, good morning. Welcome to the next episode of the Construction Big Breakfast. Um, as you can see, I'm joined by my colleague, Ben Pritchard. And today, I'm delighted that we've got David Beer joining us from Mott McDonald. Uh, David has known both Ben and I for many, many years now, and uh, really looking forward, Dave, to hearing about what you've been doing since we last met in person. How are you? Cool. Yeah, not bad. It's kind of uh, different times, but you kind of uh, live through it, don't you? You certainly do. You really have to. You've got no choice, have you? <laughs> yeah. Now, David, as you know, this is the construction big breakfast, so we've got a really important question to get out of the way. I had my uh, my usual porridge for breakfast. It's, it's my staple. It's what... Uh, I kick off every day with including the weekends but people know that more importantly what did you have for breakfast um i had a cup of tea and a snickers <laughs> snickers <laughs> yes i had an early morning meeting so i grabbed a snickers and ran upstairs again well congratulations that's the first i don't think we've had a snickers and cup of tea on this so uh, that's great <laughs> I trust that isn't the normal what about you ben you can't beat that i'm sure no, I mean, to be honest, you know, we've, we've got a question both your choice in chocolate and choice in breakfast, but, you know, maybe that's a subject of a different uh, podcast. Um, uh, so I did uh, something slightly better, uh, but I grabbed a, 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 a cup of tea and a bowl of cereal this morning. So, yeah, nothing nothing fancy uh, this morning, but uh, uh, plenty of uh, healthy uh, and much tastier than the Snickers. There, David. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> let's let's fill in the, the gaps a little bit um you know i i know that you've been heavily involved in the aviation sector around the world um i'd be very interested in some of your experience of that um you know the good the bad and the ugly as it were and what is the crossover between aviation and construction you know certainly if you go back to the sir john egan days there was a, a lot to learn both ways there so i'd be interested in your take on that and then maybe take a pause because the whole world took a pause 12 months ago and then maybe we could pivot into what's happening with the aviation and what's happening with you thereafter but let's go back to what's been going up to this time last year okay um yeah so uh, aviation um is uh, and has been a really vibrant sector for uh, decades now um there's a, a lot of growth around the world um you know the uk is at the forefront of that uh, and there's some really real skills in the sector um there's probably eight primary countries in the world that have the ability to um to advise on um uh, on the aviation industry in depth and the uk is one of those uh, so that's a real strength of ours um in terms of you mentioned egan the collaboration that the likes of heathrow and others in the uk aviation sector show um you know that goes around the world and as consultants um a lot of uh, a lot of other countries other airports want to know around what the uk are doing at their airports um and you, you could see from the way that heathrow was setting up expansion prior to about this time last year again they were highly collaborative they they really started to push a project 13 delivery model um, and really start to engage with uh, the wider supply chain and it's almost reimagining construction uh, you know getting the dfma really in there getting um getting logistics and and the hub model going um, and also creating uh, careers rather than jobs so making sure that people are trained and um, and actually evolve and, and connect with each other as they go through the process of 
of building the buildings. And I know, um, you know, as part of that journey, um, you know, speaking to sort of yourself, Phil Wilbraham and a number of people involved with Heathrow, um, you know, you spoke to, um, you know, Turkey, the, the, sort of the new airport being built there, uh, New York, all around the world. It was a real sort of drive to to learn best practice. Uh, as a sector, it's always seemed very open to, to learn from each other, to try and make sure that the next new airport, the next hub, um, was better than the, the last. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, if you look at the way the aviation sector is set up, um, there's this um, uh, confederation of airports around the world called ACI. It's like the club of airports and, and very much they, as a mentality, really like to share. They like to understand what others are doing. And actually that really builds into that uh, collaboration model. So it, it, it kind of not only the, the consultants and the contractors, but also the, um, the airports themselves, the clients, actually feel that you know collaboration very often is, is the way to go and do you find that on all airports because i know that you know yes you worked on a number of big ones but you also you know the flamengo airport i can't remember what it was actually called um but you know much smaller airports as well seem to still have that want to learn and collaborate yeah um so um crumbs into that it was it's now over a decade ago um i've did a job in in Ecuador, for instance, and absolutely wonderful people, you know, but they they act like sponges. And it, it's a slightly different context and a different size of airport, but they're always saying, you know, what would Heathrow do or what would Gatwick and Stansted do or, you know, what would Manchester do? And they did, they just want to learn. Um, and going back to the consultancy market, these eight countries in the world that can support consultancy in aviation because of the size of the existing local market. Um, uh, they're the ones that retain that knowledge um, of how to do things and all those types of things. So when you come to these these slightly smaller countries where the, the, there isn't so much depth in the the knowledge base, very much part of our um, our workload is around um, uh, converting lessons learned, you know, bringing people on the journey, uh, making sure that they they haven't fallen into the same bear trap that um, uh, maybe others have done in the past. So it's um, it. it you do get into some quite um, uh, capacity building type of con context as well. And I know that that you definitely appreciate the broader picture of that, but that could come across as a, being a little bit process orientated. Um, obviously, airports yeah. by their very nature, the gateway into the country, they are so important nationally to make a statement about what that country represents and to be both welcoming, but as I say, to to give a sign of the culture behind it. Um, how do you, how well do you think nations define that brief so that it is deliverable and deliverable in a way that actually delights and excites when people arrive? Crumbs, that's a big question. Um, and it's a little bit variable as well. Um, the, you, you're 100% right. The, the An airport is the first and last impressions of um, a a community's um, a DNA and so if, if you're going on holiday or on a business trip and you're arriving there that first impression is really important equally if you're a passenger that's traveling back um, from overseas and you, you see an airport that's really well run there's a sense of pride in that um, you know often when we're, we're talking to airport clients they talk about um, their culture 
that you're talking about the design of the airport is often you know some of them have cultural walls uh, some of them it's ingrained in their architecture so if you look up at the ceiling you start to see you know very um, uh, cultural images resonating through there um, and actually that's part of the design process is to, to really understand you know what it what the the cultural sensitivities of that that airport and that that to, uh, total context is and then that starts to make um, uh, each airport unique um, and you also start to get you know that's how airports often start to brand differentiate between different airports as well so if you look at say Schiphol they've got the the Rijksmuseum in there you know yeah. you've, you've you've got you've got different flavors of different airports and they're actually com competitively differentiating themselves based on um, who they are and who they want to be as a country. Yeah, that's really important. And I've always felt that the the industry, the airline industry has been so resilient. We talk in our own business about the importance of business resilience and the like. And again, we'll come on to it. The last 12 months, if anything, has impressed the importance of that. But in the airline industry, of course, they had to deal with 9-11. Um, almost overnight, their business model was broken. Um, they had to adapt to that. And as a sector, we had to support them in that. Take us through that transition from your experience. How, how effective that was? What were the lessons learned? How resilient was that sector really at the time? And how quickly did it have to put its socks up afterwards? Um, so, so generally, aviation, bar maybe the last year or so, has been incredibly resilient. Um, you generally have a a real bounce back of traffic quite quickly uh, yeah. following uh, for following any of these uh, kind of shock events. Um, you know, if, if you're looking at not just 9-11, but say the Arab Spring or some of the Bali bombings and all of those types of things, you know, yeah. the, the geopolitical events that aviation's associ associated with, you know, the, the volcano as well, um, yeah. kind of in Iceland, yeah. it, the, the, you do have a, a short period where, you know, you don't have the planes flying, but often uh, very much the uh, the market returns quickly, um, and actually this probably make, makes COVID a, a one-off compared to some of the other shock events that we've had in the past. And how would you say, how responsive has the construction sector been in assisting aviation to bounce back? Um, so, uh, well, in pre previous forms, I think the construction sector in itself, because of the bounce backs being quite quick, um, the underlying business models of the airports hasn't been that badly affected. You've you've had often um, the, um, uh, the 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 construction programs uh, probably last longer than the the shocks themselves. Um, I think this time we've had a slightly different um, uh, kind of impact. That really it's it's fundamentally hits all of the airports all at the same time. You know the traffic is, is is hugely off, and actually you've got uh, lots of airports that can't even cover their fixed costs at the moment. So so that then you do adopt a slightly different approach. And I know that a lot of airport programs around the world have been put on pause as a direct consequence. Uh, when you're looking in the uh, the construction industry's response to that, then you know there's there's got to be starting off with a fair amount of understanding. You know the, these are uh, these are companies um, that, you know, there's a fundamental challenge to their existence. Yeah. Um, you know, the investors are 
having to put in huge amounts of money just to keep those companies afloat. And so you know you can understand why these these programs are being paused. And obviously there's stand down costs associated with that. And you, you we're, we're very lucky in the UK that we've got other major programs to go on to. So the UK may not have been um, as badly affected in terms of the construction industry, but obviously the the aviation industry, the aviation component, they've been really badly affected by this. And you know, they a lot of um, a lot of my friends and colleagues are still a little bit on life support in terms of um, waiting for the industry to come back and and working through the issues that we've got around um, global health security at the moment, just to make sure that everybody's safe. Right. And what is the belief within in the industry? Is there confidence that it will come back? Um, yeah, well, it's uh, and different uh, different regions are different. So the UK very much is at an epicenter of COVID at the moment. Um, different markets have different size of domestic markets as well. Um, so if you if you're looking at say China or the US or Australia you know they've they've got quite big local markets so it would seem easier to uh, to restart those types of um parts of the aviation's um global network um quicker um you know it's it they're having to deal with uh, changes to legislation changes to government policies almost on a daily basis at the moment um but actually i think the the long term is that the fundamentals will return you know, aviation, if you look at just the UK, Heathrow um, is responsible for 40% of the exports to the UK. Yeah, and so when you're talking about getting back to a growth agenda or kind of getting back to some level of economic normality, the airports are often a fundamental gateway to, mm. uh, to a region or a country. So, you know, it will return. Uh, it might return in a slightly different manner, um, but actually, um, the fundamentals are, you know, there's huge economic and social benefits that aviation brings. You, you know, you, if you look at, even outside of the export side of things, you know, lots of countries around the world rely on uh, tourism. And, you know, a lot of people come in through those airports and provide uh, huge amounts of jobs for the local economy through um, through the tourism they, they offer. And, uh, Ben, sorry, did you want to come in there? No, no, go on then. I was just going to ask, and to what extent do you think there will the capacity will be retained, the skill sets, the knowledge will be retained in this in this vacuum at the moment, so that when things do pick up, that they can be drawn upon? Yeah, that, that's a really, really powerful point. Is um, you know there is a real risk at the moment that the um, the skills will be lost to the aviation sector. Um, I know that um, you know. Our, our um, partners and our competitors and our clients are all saying the same things. Um, so, add from a, um, a a retention of that skill set within the the construction community, we are quite lucky that um, the aviation sector, the people in it, often have um, transferable skills. And I know that there are programs out there where. Um, and MOTS are involved in those where we're trying to assign aviation people um, uh, kind of work on these other major programs like uh, Highways England or kind of some of the network rail projects or HS2 to give them um, a pathway to through the next year or two yeah. because the, again the whole industry will recover and then it's a case of um, if, if we haven't protected those people over that time period 
then we're going back to basics and and we'll be a lot poorer as an industry as a whole yeah that's no, a really important point yeah i mean it's a great opportunity isn't it for you know rail highways uh, nuclear all the other sort of programs that are carrying on to 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 really sort of you, you know be that sponge um except instead of ecuador you're in milton keynes or wherever you are <laughs> yeah um <laughs> The uh, uh, the pisco sours are better in uh, in Ecuador. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was um, uh, one of the challenges um, uh, for the aviation industry uh, uh, and sort of generally sort of construction uh, uh, and everything else uh, for for a number of years uh, and what was becoming a a, a focus uh, is sort of the issue around sort of uh, the climate, uh, carbon, uh, and things like that. Um, so you had um, this sort of burning platform in, in some ways for the industry already that was in some ways difficult to achieve when there was investment in sort of improving infrastructure and everything like that. And then COVID sort of has probably got on off track a little bit because it's hard to invest in improving um, when you haven't got the traffic. How does aviation sort of carry on that mantle of trying to decarbonise, trying to sort of drive better um, sort of ways of travel and things like that, knowing that investment is hard at the moment. Yeah, it's it. There's a number of things in in that space. I think COVID's really, uh, both digital and carbon, uh, has really accelerated the agenda. Anyway, um, you know, there's uh, there there are a bit like this this conversation here. There, people have suddenly found uh, Teams exists, um, and you might get Teams out, but. Um, um, I think there will be a, a subtle realignment about how people do business. Um, I think there are there were things already in train around, um, and it's very much easier to decarbonise the the on the ground infrastructure. But if you look at some of the mega trends around energy transition, around um, the advent of hydrogen, the ad, advent of um, biofuels, and all those types of things, they, you're starting to see a a pathway to decarbonisation. Um, so it isn't just around uh, building the building anymore in the most green way you can. Um, I think there's um, there's is also the policy context is quite important. So obviously there's COP26 in in Glasgow this year. Um, we know uh, now that the UK government are keen to um, uh, put out policy associated with aviation at COP26. Um, but in advance of COP26, all of the governments around the world that are looking to come to COP, they're looking to put their carbon budgets together to understand how the various different sectors of the economy play into the decarbonisation pathways of each country. So the, the UK has very much been leading in a lot of this. Um, so there's um, kind of um, the CCC uh, team that advised the UK government They've been monitoring and they're now up to the sixth carbon budget of how we're doing as a country. And generally we're doing really, really well. Um, but it, you start to get into that starting to set a policy agenda, which you started to see in the UK government coming back with, say, the 10 point plan. And that's that's wider than just aviation. That talks about, you know, heating that talks about types of uh, types of energy. It talks about types of surface transport, you know, but each of those it aviation is like a mini city so either directly or indirectly all of those 10 points apply to aviation um so you're sitting there going point six is um the saf uh, 
point around sustainable aviation fuels or biofuels, but then there's also point 10, which is about green finance. And actually to upscale and commercialize SAF to make it meaningful, you really, really need to fast track that commercialization process and get the finance to fund this new industry that could be created. You know, if you look at, say, uh, North Sea jobs at the moment, that potentially the, the SAF side of things could potentially start to plug the gaps and actually transition the skills and the knowledge we've got from the North Sea uh, sector, the, those oil and gas jobs into a, a new, uh, greener future. So there's, there's lots of interconnected um, things in and around an airport. The airport itself, um, they've been for years looking at um, potential solutions to de decarbonise and really push the agenda there. But actually, if aviation is going to decarbonise, they've really got to address that fuel source associated with the aircraft. That's uh, that's the biggest sort of um, risk and issue uh, at the end of the day, I guess, isn't it? I mean, you can do lots of other great things to the infrastructure itself, but um, there there is no uh, EV equivalent at the moment, is there? Um, for well, weirdly enough, they 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 are developing EVs at the moment, so you're starting to see uh, the commuter level planes kicking in. Uh, you're mm. starting to see hydrogen trials of hydrogen powered aircraft <laughs> you're starting to see them testing the limits at the moment on SAF you can you can fly with a 50% SAF blend uh, they're now starting to test 100% SAF and you're starting to get the energy majors getting really interested in this so the likes of BP and Shell and Total and, and all these lot you're starting to see a real drive towards that end of the, the spectrum um, but it as you say, the, the aviation industry, you you start to you see the airport, you see the planes, but actually there's a whole supply chain behind that. Mm. So so all all of the the hydrogen expertise that we're starting to look at, uh, say uh, Tees Valley, where they've got the hydrogen uh, transport hub and and master plan and business case, you know the government are looking at how how we can plug that together, you know they're looking at deploying capture, uh, carbon capture and storage to um, uh, to kind of um, production of fuels. You're looking at the production of green hydrogen and how that may go into uh, future aircraft. So there's all of these types of things. And it's the, or the tip of the icebergs, the airport, but there's a whole supply chain that the UK and the UK construction industry can really get involved in and get behind. And what's really heartening is this is now forming the basis of an awful lot of conversations where even up to a year ago, I, I haven't heard that mentioned as, as much, I'll be honest. It's definitely on the agenda. Um, as you say, COP26 later is really bringing it to the fore, certainly in this country and I, I suspect around the world as well. Is there a risk, however, that there is almost too much focus now on the environmental side of it and then not enough balance with the society and the governance side of it? Because I certainly am aware that investors are looking for and require that safe haven across the whole piece. Yeah. Is there a danger that people are focusing too narrowly instead of thinking of it more holistically? Or is that essential to really bring environmental up the agenda? I, I, I think there's, uh, I'd say it's, it's responsible investment. Um, so you, if, if you're looking at the policy context again, there's a real uh, push for uh, ESG reporting. So the yeah. Europeans this year brought in ESG reporting from a mandatory perspective. Yeah. You've got uh, TCFD as well, and uh, the good airports like Heathrow are, 
are already starting to report on TCFD and um, and the the climate risks, both transition and physical risks. Um, and actually, that you know, I do think that um, uh, a kind of that kind of investment from a a responsible perspective makes good long term sense anyway. So if you if you're if you're looking at the number of airports around the world that are often based on a delta or a kind of a low flying a low lying uh, land and all those types of things, if you're then starting to say um, sea sea level rise, then actually that's going to directly f affect those airports. So mm -hmm. I, I do think there is a need to really respond to that agenda. If you're looking at the uh, investor desire to get into green infrastructure investment, there's a huge groundswell of money for that type of um, type of thing. So I think it's it's a mega trend that we'll see in the industry. Um, and one that, um, from an aviation perspective, but actually more wider infrastructure perspective, clients need to start to uh, respond and get ahead of policy. Um, you know, we, we've obviously seen in the press the Heathrow expansion issues associated with government policy that led to a pause on expansion. But you've also got the advent of things like the uh, the Environment Act, which broadens the agenda just from and mostly a carbon context into a much more balanced scorecard. Yeah. You know, you're starting to get into net biodiversity gains and all of these other things. And actually, um, good infrastructure providers should be, it should be a, a benefit, not just to the businesses, but the communities they serve as well. I think that's probably where we'll end up getting to. Um, if you look at places like New Zealand, for instance, they've stopped uh, communicating around GDP growth. And they're actually starting to talk around, you know, shared prosperity. And so I, th I think the next mega trend might be less around growth. It's probably more about um, uh, the right, almost um, shovel worthy schemes rather than shovel ready. Yeah. yeah. I'm conscious that we're, we're getting close. As always, we uh, we could go on for hours, but let's just maybe start bringing this. But I know, Ben, you wanted to come in on that particular point and then we'll start bringing this to a Conclusion, and of course, Dave, we can always come back again some other time. But yeah, I mean that that New Zealand one was interesting, and um, what um, it was a sort of before that, um, you, you know, aviation um, uh, as a sort of an industry does so much good, and um, it's laying the foundations for you know some fantastic stuff to decarbonize. Um, but when you look at the sort of the Heathrow expansion and so many things out there, there just seems to be a real perception issue especially with the general public, you know, they'll never believe that it can be done, um, that it's all smoke and mirrors. How can that be overcome? You know, how can you make the great stuff being done in the industry by construction, by aviation? How can you help people really, truly understand what that means? That's, that's a really, really big, big issue. Um, you know, the, if you're looking at aviation, uh, per se, it's 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 got a context of people think it's a polluting um, industry, and um, the whole kind of social license to operate, social license to grow, is a big, well-known thing in 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 aviation. So the 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 um, the stakeholder engagement, the consultation through that expansion program was extensive to to communicate with the communities around noise, air quality, all of those types of environmental. Um, factors that really mean a lot. Um, but if you're looking at the the longer term side of things, you're starting to get into a real need for 
um, coordinated policy. So one of the things you know you we touched on SAF earlier, having an integrated SAFs policy that not only links in from an aviation perspective but links into the wider economy, having a integrated hydrogen policy that links into the wider economy so that you can leverage the economies of scale out of both. You know that that joining the dots across the economy is almost like that systems thinking approach. That 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 is something that really really um, I think would really help fast track that agenda. Mm-hmm. Now, as you as you say, it's a, it's a huge subject in its own right. But uh, I think you're dead right about the, the systems thinking. And maybe just drawing that to a, a close, if you compare. The industry that you came into and we're near as long ago as i came into it david but nonetheless you've now got an immense amount of experience how would you say your career has changed over there and and the issues that you are now having to worry about on behalf of your business and your client how they compare with the ones you used to worry about um that's a really good question um i i've always been glad to be in aviation um Aviation is a bit like a mini city, and the the business model is so complex that it's um, there's always um, a different angle, a different flavour. Um, I think the um, the focus, as you said earlier, Brendan, is is it's moved from let's go build something into let's understand the context as to why we're building it and and making sure that we're maximising the benefits. So you're starting to get into lots of um, things about. Uh, health impact, accessibility, um, uh, the um, uh, the inequalities, benefits of infrastructure. So how how do we how do we use the the development of infrastructure to um, push society's aims forward? I think that is something where the social conscience, not just in the UK but globally, is increasingly at the forefront of why we're doing the job. People are more aware of why we're doing the job rather than just what the job looks like. Um, and uh, I think, you know, going back to the, the policy side of things, aviation is probably at the forefront of that because it's it's very visible. You know, if you get a, in a taxi to go to an airport, generally the taxi driver's got a view on on the, the airport. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everybody generally has a view on the airport. But it's, so we've lived often in the in, in that sphere for a while. Um, you you also see it from some of the stuff coming out more recently on HS2. You know there is there is a real social conscience that construction needs to be aware of and and very much is aware of, and I can't see that stopping anytime soon. And frankly, from a personal point of view, that's when we're at our best, yeah. um, because I think that really does when people realise the purpose of what they're doing. I think it brings out the best in them. So. Look, I think that's a, a very positive note to finish on, David. I'm really pleased that you're able to join us. I look forward to to meeting you in person before too long. Keep It'd be up nice the, to go for a beer, yeah. Exactly. Keep up the good work of what you're doing there at Mots. It's uh, it's really impressive all the work that you have been doing. I hope you do manage to to keep, as you say, your your friends and colleagues on that life support from a a career point of view. It's so important that we don't lose that talent. So, uh, wish you all the very best at that, and thank you for joining us today. We'll obviously share your details. I'm sure you don't mind us if if our listeners wanted to join you on LinkedIn or whatever and continue the conversation. But uh, for the meantime, I really appreciate your time, David. And Ben, thank you for 
for helping in uh, delivering what I hope our, our listeners will agree was a very interesting conversation. But as I said, just the start of it. And, uh, and for those listening, thank you. I apologise for the noise pollution that is a uh, grumpy seven-month-old Dachshund. I did try and mute him, but yeah, I'm not sure if I caught him all the time. <laughs> I'll let you get back to him then. Uh, so look, thanks very much for listening, everyone. Um, I hope you did like and enjoy what you heard. If you did, please do share that with others. Please subscribe. If you didn't, uh, always welcome uh, any constructive views. And if any of you out there feel you've got something to contribute, we'd be more than delighted to have a similar session with you. So in the meantime, all keep safe and look forward to seeing you again in a future episode. Episode. Thank you. Bye for now. For the highest R&D tax credit you can claim, we help construction businesses get back millions in tax credits every year. Contact us today for a free review. Thanks for joining us this week on the Construction Big Breakfast. Make sure to visit our website, www.invent.com, where you can subscribe to the Construction Big Breakfast on all platforms so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a positive rating. Or if you'd simply share it with a friend, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.